Inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So what makes for a good headline and what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. I'm Mallory Wilson. I'm Megan DeLucine. And this is Buried Bylines. It's a dark and stormy night at 9.46 a.m. So no, I, I was just kidding. I'm like, it's storming really bad. So if you hear random cracks of, like, thunder, it's, it's just the like. Ambient. Yeah. It, I mean, it kind of is. I mean. Ooh. Ooh. I like, know. I, this case, I just, like, randomly picked it because I read some small details about it. And I was like, that seems interesting. And then I just got really sad. Oh, no. So we really need the fun fact today. Okay, so here's the thing. Normally, we end our episodes with a fun fact, but today we're going to bookend the episode with a fun fact. So I have a fun fact to start, and then you can end it with a fun fact. Oh, I like it. Okay. Did you know there's this thing called coemetrophobia? And it's you're you're scared of the city. (laughs) No, it's the irrational yet very common fear of cemeteries, burial sites, or funerals. Oh my god, this is the perfect story for today. (laughs) Well, after researching this case, I can understand why someone may have a fear or strong disliking for cemeteries. For sure. I mean, there's ghosties in there. There's ghosties in there. There are. For the record, it's mid-July, and I want it to be October right now. My, literally, shut up. My lock screen is Halloween right now (laughs) on my phone. Megan and I love Halloween so much, it's stupid. Yeah, my baby shower's theme is spooky Halloween. Oh, yeah, by (laughs) the way, if you didn't know, Megan's having a baby. (laughs) Yeah, we're six months in, so you're kind of behind the eight ball. Um, I don't think you've said it on the pod, though. We've never said it, no. <laughs> Just like we didn't say our name until episode, like, 15. We're working on it. It's We're fine. doing good. We're doing good. Okay. Anyway, do you want to talk about this case? Yeah. Okay. We're going to be diving into the unsolved murder of Wilma Lawson Cheek. Have you heard okay. of her? No. Okay. The year is 1995. <gasps> That's when I was born. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> It's like a rule. It's late October, and we are at Willow Grove Cemetery in Fountain City, Indiana. As always, I'm here to provide a little geography lesson if you're not familiar with the state of Indiana or if you're Megan and you're geographically challenged. I was going to be like, or me that lives (laughs) in Indiana and never knows where she's going. So Fountain City is roughly 10 miles north of Richmond. It sits on the forest edge of eastern Indiana, right near the Ohio border. So around 11.15 a.m. on October 30th, a cemetery caretaker noticed a 1989 Pontiac Grand Prix parked at the rear end of the cemetery. This, of course, is not uncommon for people to drive into the cemetery to visit or pay respects to 
loved ones. But some time went by and the caretaker didn't see anyone in or around the car. So they decided to take a closer look. And that's when they discovered the body of 48-year-old Wilma Cheek slumped over in the driver's seat. Yikes. According to an initial report from the Palladium item, which, by the way, was released the next day on Halloween... Whoa! Indiana State Police quickly determined Wilma was shot to death inside her car. ISP Sergeant Robert Burkhead said Wilma's body was taken to the Indiana University Medical Center in Indianapolis for an autopsy now known as IU Health University Hospital. A little bit about our victim... Wilma Cheek was originally from London, Kentucky. She had lived in the Richmond area for more than 25 years. She was referred to as a beloved housewife, mother, and Sunday school teacher. Wilma left behind her husband, Albert. They were coming up on their 30th wedding anniversary, along with three kids, son, Kevin, and daughters, Kefani and Crystal. That's sad. So, I know. Wilma was last seen at her home by family members earlier that morning. A very interesting tidbit to me. When the PAL item published the story on Wilma's death, they included her street address as a reference to, like, who she was. They did this all the time back then. Yeah, I thought it was strange for, like, 1995, though. Like, that seems It might have been, like, the tail end of it. Yeah, I was like... 19 okay 1995 just putting people's street addresses out there people come on (laughs) while it was clear Wilma died from a gunshot wound police said there was no information about what type of gun was used a report from the Cincinnati Post indicated that police were trying to determine if it was a homicide or a suicide but a Wayne County Sheriff's Department official told the pal item there were no weapons found inside Wilma's car in the following days, investigators were quickly able to confirm Wilma was murdered. On November 2nd, the PAL item published an article stating Wilma had been shot multiple times. Indiana State Police were now trying to find a motive and suspect in the case. The autopsy revealed there were no signs of a struggle or sexual assault. Indiana State Police Detective Bob Abbott said, quote, small amount of evidence was found in Wilma's car, but wouldn't reveal what the evidence was in fear of tipping off the killer. On top of that, state police revealed that some money was also missing from the car. They they never disclosed how much money was missing from the car. Okay, that was my question. And also, did they say yet where she was shot? No. Okay. I actually never saw details on where she was shot. It just always said multiple times. Okay, yeah. Because that would be interesting to see. Was it in the back? or in the front or the side. Two weeks later, the PAL item does a follow-up piece and things aren't looking good. The headline reads, Graveyard slang still baffles investigators. (laughs) Mm -mm. (laughs) State police said, despite the missing money, they don't believe robbery was the motive here. After conducting dozens of interviews, police said they had no idea what the motive was for this killing. Detective Abbott said, quote, she was a homemaker and her lifestyle was quiet. It is hard to find anyone who has a reason to harm her. Yeah, I mean, it's very bizarre. Cemetery, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why was she there? Was she meeting up with somebody? Girl, I wish that 
that I could tell you I had that oh, answer. We'll we will go through it, but it is leak. Like that's uh, the only thing I can think of. Yeah. This follow-up article did give us a little bit better idea of a timeline though. So police say Wilma got up that morning, did her normal routine. She put her young daughter on the school bus. Her daughter was in her teens. She was the only child that was still living in the house. So okay. she got her on the bus around 7.30 and then sometime between 10 and 10.30 she talked on the phone with her friend. Shortly after 11 her car was spotted at the cemetery and by noon her body was found. Oh, wow. Investigators who are admittedly stumped say they're just as frustrated as the public. Detective Abbott gave some very comforting quotes to close out the article. He said, in most investigations we can usually come up with something but we haven't been able to narrow the focus so far then he right. says at this point the entire planet can potentially be a suspect now why would you say that to I, the media <laughs> i was like you've got to be shitting me that is uh, a terrible terrible quote that would be a quote that i use to tease the story yeah like, but it's not something you want to hear as like no, i know that's what i'm <laughs> saying like it's just not good and then the killer or killers we don't know they're like oh sweet so they have no freaking clue yeah i'm good i'm golden and then i stumbled upon <laughs> this fact that was very unsettling to me wilma cheek was laid to rest in the very same cemetery where she was killed and later found dead inside her car oh, and that comes up a couple more times in like following coverage from her family i don't know how they could deal with that like cemeteries are meant to be peaceful resting places where you can go and find comfort and i would never right. be able to find comfort visiting her knowing that she was buried in the same place she was killed yeah that is really odd the only thing i can think of which we probably don't know or unless the family addressed it is our other family members buried there like her parents or her sister or if they already bought the plot or if that's the only cemetery in their area i don't know all of her family's from kentucky her parents are still living in kentucky so it's yeah it, i mean that's weird it's at the discretion of her husband i guess of like yeah. wanting her to be close but i yeah, don't know i maybe would have found a different cemetery uh yeah yeah that's weird unless like he believes her spirit is still there so he wants her body to be there. i don't know maybe like, they were very religious business. people yeah. so that maybe yeah. that's why but i don't know yeah not a choice i would make but you never know until you're in that situation okay. A few weeks later, on December 3rd, there's a break in the case, and this update comes with some of the craziest details, but they're certainly a sign of the times. First, police say they are hoping the driver of a 1970s GMC pickup truck will be able to aid in their investigation. This is not uncommon. This is something that we have covered in TV where they'll be like, this car was near this spot where yeah. the crime happened. Like, we just want to talk to this person. Yeah. Well, because like, it was the middle of the day, right? So, like, yeah, there's a bunch of cars. So that's yeah. interesting. So, apparently this truck was spotted near the bridge that separates the park from the cemetery, and it was spotted around the time that Wilma was murdered. So, Detective okay. Abbott said... They 
They don't know if the truck was involved in the homicide, but they want to talk to the driver to see if they heard or saw anything that could lead to a bigger break. They actually have a really great description of the truck. So police say it's a 1978 to 1980 gray GMC truck with light colored ladder tracks in the bed. Also, a K96 bumper sticker with flames on the left rear bumper. Officials believe the truck may also have a toolbox across the back and a shotgun rack in the cab. That is so detailed. Yeah. Was the witness like, (laughs) I don't even know, like bird watching with binoculars or something? Has a love of trucks or something. Right. Because like a lot of that, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be like, it's a great truck. (laughs) Yeah, literally, I would have been like, I don't know, it's a gray truck. (laughs) Then this article mentions some theories being tossed around by community members. A ton of people thought that Wilma was killed by Satanists because the crime occurred in a cemetery on the day before Halloween. Say it with me now. Satanic panic. Yep. I mean, that's literally like that time. But I mean, now we know better. Such a sign of the times. Police were quick to say there was no evidence of any such involvement. But at the same time, they didn't have any leads other than a potential witness in a pickup truck that they had yet to locate. So the truck didn't say, I heart Satanist. Like, shut up. A few weeks later, another article is published in the PAL items stating Indiana State Police are still looking for clues in the crime. No additional information is offered up, but the article appears to be sponsored by Crime Stoppers, which lets read know that they can call a tip anonymously and if their tip leads to an arrest there's a $1,000 reward and honestly thank god for crime stoppers because they took a huge interest in Wilma's case months went by without any coverage but in late February crime stoppers took out an ad in the pal item asking Aww. for the public's help to gather tips and clues again information about the truck was published but no new information about the case do you know what that reminds you of what <laughs> like crime stoppers in this case is Kristen from Vanderpump Rules pointed in the right direction. <laughs> Listen, okay, so I know we have a true crime podcast and nobody probably cares about Vanderpump Rules. Kristen on a mission might as well have a detective's badge. Right. We just talked about that because I am substantially further than I was. I'm on, I think, season four, episode like 18. You're almost, yeah, you're almost done with season four. So I'm almost halfway through. Let's get it. I love it. Um, Okay, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) The incentive for information takes a drastic jump on February 24th when Wilma's siblings step up to the plate. They issued a reward of $25,000 to anyone who could provide information that would help find Wilma's killer. Her brother and sisters were visiting Wayne County frequently, trying to meet with police officers and stay up to date on their sister's case while also aiding to her grieving family. Wilma's sister, Deborah, said, quote, police are doing everything they can do, but it's just slowing down. The longer it takes, the weaker the case gets. We hope this reward will bring in some new evidence. After the reward was announced, multiple ads ran in the PAL item for weeks in an effort to keep the community involved and eyes on the case. By late March, Indiana State Police provided an update saying they're at a complete standstill. So after nearly five months, they have no inkling of a motive and no suspects. 
Detective Abbott revealed police only got one tip after the reward money was up to $25,000. That's wild to me because usually if there's a big reward or a recent call for information, you get like a million. One tip was absolutely crazy to me. I was like, after that much money is put up and there's only one tip that came through, that's almost unheard of. Yeah, I mean, nobody was paying attention. Like, I mean, I wouldn't drive by a cemetery and see a car and be like, that's weird. It could be a visitor, someone visiting their family. I don't know. That's, and it's crazy that nobody saw anything in the middle of the day. Yeah. Or heard anything if she was shot multiple times. But this article was the first time that I saw any theories or reasoning as to why Wilma was even at the cemetery. The Pell item reports that it was basically they're just talking about how Wilma was a very religious woman and they believe that she might have been going to the cemetery to meditate. They reported it from like the family was trying to give a reason. Unless she had ties to that cemetery, why would you go there and meditate? Like, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of better like a church maybe yeah if she's she's so religious why didn't she go to the church yeah that's odd very odd so regardless with nowhere to go from here the indiana state police turned to the fbi they submitted the case files in hopes of getting a suspect profile to help aid in their investigation so think mind hunter or criminal minds they're hoping the fbi can put together a potential suspect profile to give them anything to go off of yeah. that was relatively new at that time right the 90s was when that was coming about the profiling yes. but detective abbott noted he wasn't sure how high the FBI would prioritize this case. Which is fair. Mostly it's gotta be a pattern or something. Serial killers or like federal crimes. A small town shooting honestly on the FBI's list is probably not very high. As the case stands still, so does coverage until the one-year anniversary of Wilma's murder. An in-depth article is published by the PAL item on October 30th, 1996. Steve RL, a staff writer, did a fabulous job. He spoke with Wilma's family. We learn that Albert arrived home around 3 p.m. the day Wilma was murdered. When he pulled into the driveway, police were already there waiting for him. Albert was with his 15-year-old daughter, Crystal, who stared blankly at the ground before bursting into tears and running into the family home. The article says that Wilma's death, quote, unraveled a once tight-knit family. Those close to Albert say for the last year, he's been a man struggling to put his life back together. The article noted that Albert is back to work at the Richmond Baking Company and tried to, quote, rebuild himself emotionally, which I thought was a strange way to word it until I realized it was a lead-in to the next line, stating that in August of 1996, 10 months after Wilma was murdered, Albert got remarried. No, I knew you were going to say that. Oh, gross. He tied the knot with his co-worker, Darlene Dunn, which is not a great look. 
No. I definitely think this is more common among grieving men than it is women. Like, I have seen a pattern of, like, men who have lost their wives, especially, like, in older age, if they have kids or, like, she was almost 50. I think they just need that, like, emotional support. And they're like, ah, new wife. No. But you got to see how that looks, dude. Like, yeah. Especially if you did not do anything, like, why would, I don't know. Like, just wait a little bit. There's no rush, I guess, but. And I will say the red flags don't stop there. Oh, no. I was going to ask if he was sus or not. Yeah. Shout out to the pal item for spilling the tea because honestly, this is a lot of like family drama that got published in this one year memorial article. Yeah, that's what I was going to say because we kind of see that a lot with like the first year anniversary. The media really digs into the family and gets more information because there's nothing happening in the case. So that's what they're focusing on. So like usually around the one year mark, media outlets will do like an in-depth look to try to revamp the case. So that's when you get the most information. Yeah, it's really, I it's happened to me a couple of other times when I've been researching where I like can't find any information about the victim or their family and then the one year mark happens and there's yep. all suddenly all this fucking information and I'm yeah. like what Auntie. the hell You're like whoa yeah <laughs> thank you <laughs> So Detective Abbott spoke to the pal item for this article and said he would like to talk to Albert Cheek a bit more about the case, but Albert reportedly denied his request to talk about what happened. Uh-oh. Albert's attorney also declined to comment on the case, which is, again, not a great look for Albert. The only thing his attorney would say is that he's a private person who didn't want his life publicly exposed, which would explain why he hadn't given any interviews to the media even now. All this information about Albert appears to be from friends and family close to Wilma. Don't blame him for that. He just didn't want to talk about it, which I get. It can be hard to talk about. But you got to talk to the police and they ask you if you didn't do anything period in my opinion but always ask for a lawyer on the flip side of that I will tell you after listening to so many true crime podcasts and like watching so many tv shows if you're accused of a crime immediately ask for your lawyer and do what your lawyer says so I do not blame him for pointing to his attorney especially if you're innocent but I do think you should cooperate with the police but yeah I I would tell any of my friends any of my family if you're accused of a crime get your lawyer on the phone don't say anything without your lawyer there. And then if you're, if you tell your lawyer, Hey, I literally, like, I did not do this. I'm innocent. And I do want to cooperate with the police, but I need you to just be there to make sure that I don't say anything that I don't mean, or that could be taken in the wrong way. So I don't blame you for that. (laughs) I blame him for not talking to the police about it. Well, the article goes on to talk about Albert and Wilma's lives together. So they grew up in London, Kentucky together. They met in grade school and started dating in high school. The couple got married in 1966, shortly after graduating high school. Albert joined the National Guard. After basic training, he took a job in Connorsville, Indiana. Eventually, the two settled in Williamsburg near Richmond when Albert got the job at Richmond Baking Company. They built a home, started their family. Loved ones said they were a solid 
couple. I will say the article mentioned that the Lawsons, Wilma's parents and siblings, hadn't been in contact with Albert since a few weeks after the murder. It appears Wilma's family did not take well to the fact that he remarried so soon. Yeah, the pal- he wouldn't, right? No, like, the Pal Item like reports several of her family members showed up to the wedding uninvited to protest Albert's vows to Darlene. Oh my god! Okay, I don't think you should do that. I told you the tea! But apparently there was a truck blocking off the entrance to their backyard wedding, so none of them made it to the ceremony. So instead, they reportedly drove slowly up and down the street in front of their house. Wow. Wow, that's a decision. But I'm also like, couldn't you just walk around the truck? Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. petty shit. That is petty shit. I think that their kids were a little upset about it too because the couple's two oldest children, Kevin and Kefany, were contacted and either Kefany? declined. Huh? Kefany? Yeah. That's her name? Like Stephanie, but with a K. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't mean to laugh, but I've never heard that in my life. Never. I no. Was, it um, Honestly, it looks like a drug. Kefany. I'm on Kefany. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> but they didn't want to talk. Like, they were reached out to for this article. They either declined to comment or didn't answer. Their youngest daughter, Crystal, I mentioned, was still in high school at this point, still living with her dad. But all of this makes me think that they weren't all too happy about their new stepmom either. Right. Or talk bad about your dad because he's still your dad, even if you don't agree with his decision. Like, that would be a tough line to walk. When it comes to the case itself, the Lawsons still have that $25,000 reward up, but they also hired a private investigator to keep tabs on potential suspects. Who are they? I have no idea. As for state police, they are adamant about keeping information about evidence and clues close to their chest. Detective Abbott said it's information only police and the killer would know, and they want to keep it that way. He goes on to say, quote, our hope is down the line. One of those small, insignificant leads will open it up completely. Well, they said that with the Delphi case, too, and that eventually did lead to an arrest. So, I mean, they have their reasons. I get it. Crime Stoppers continued to push for information in the case, taking out small ads in the local newspapers. But with no credible tips, no suspects, and no motive, it didn't take long for the case to go even colder. Because let's be honest, the case went cold within weeks of Wilma's Right, right. Murder. They literally said anyone on the planet could be a suspect, so that means it's cold. Yeah. <laughs> the coverage was sparse. I didn't even see anything on the second anniversary of her death. In February of 1998, Wilma's case was featured as the Crime Stoppers Crime of the Week, and again in November of 1998. Around the five-year mark, Wilma's siblings gave another interview to the Pal Item after being spotted handing out flyers around town. Deborah said she owed it to her sister to keep her case alive and push for answers. Deborah said a group of them come up to Indiana three to four times a year to decorate Wilma's grave. She noted how difficult it is And I said earlier, this is very chilling, but we know in depth, Wilma is buried roughly 50 feet from where her body was found. Oh my God. I didn't know it was that close. (laughs) So close. I cannot believe that. While they were in town, family members met with police who said the case was technically still active, but 
no fruitful leads. The family, of course, has their own theories, but Detective Abbott told them theories are not evidence. That's a really hard place to be where you have your own thoughts of whatever, but you can't really... Yes, you have to think legally beyond a reasonable doubt. (laughs) Otherwise, you cannot say anything. Yeah. So Uh, that interview was in 2000, and after that, things went dead. I mean, absolutely nothing was published about Wilma's murder. It wasn't until nearly a decade later that I found any mention of her case. In October of 2009, 14 years later, state police issue a new call out for answers in the case. According to the PAL item, ISP was reopening the case and they were asking for the public's help. What I think happened here was the state police launched a new cold case website, which... Still stands today. It's where I found this case. And the 2009 article asks readers to visit the website and click on the cold case tab. There are two cases highlighted from each district and Wilma's case was highlighted for that area of Indiana. At this point, new detectives were placed on the case as well. ISP detective Scott Jarvis was quoted saying, just because a case is featured doesn't mean we know anything new. But he did mention that since the press release was issued about Wilma's case being reopened, police have been getting quite a few calls. Detective Jarvis said they got some decent information to follow up on, but this final quote really stuck out to me, and I don't know if he knew the context behind that one-year article where we got all the family tea, He said, people often have information about a crime and don't want to come forward when it occurs for a variety of reasons. The passage of time often changes family relationships. People get Mm -hmm. divorced or split up and feel freer to talk about things. Sometimes they'll say it's been bothering them for 15 years or they've always worried about something they knew. They often think police already know everything, but we don't know what no one tells us. That is all true. True. Yeah. Seems sus in the context of the family drama, but... So it seems like somebody is now mad at somebody and now is speaking to police. That's what I got, right? Like, yeah. but Deborah, Wilma's sister, provided some more insight in the strangeness of Wilma randomly being at the cemetery in the middle of the morning. Uh-huh. So she said that her sister was a meticulous housewife and she never left a task uncompleted. But on the morning of her murder, she had left the laundry unfolded in the basket and Deborah said it was like she was suddenly called away. That's what I was going to say because it seems more like a meetup situation to me. And also I leave laundry unfolded all the time. So don't, I mean, if if I go missing and it's not folded, it's fine. (laughs) But to me, I'm like, why aren't we talking to whoever she was talking to on the phone? Because she, they we... said she was talking to someone on the phone, and then later she was at the sound. That feels connected to me. Yeah, because it seems like she suddenly got some sort of information or request to meet there and left. And it had to yeah. have been urgent enough that she didn't fold her clothes like she normally does. And this Ooh. is 2009. So this is where we start to see how the waiting game in cold cases can be beneficial because the passage of time often comes with the evolution of technology. So yeah. 
Detective Jarvis closes out this interview by saying forensic technology has advanced significantly in the last 14 years, and he resubmitted evidence from Wilma's case file to the Indiana State Lab for testing. Ooh, good. I was going to ask if they collected anything back then, because that is something that always I'm in awe of. Like, how do you know to just keep this for later, maybe? Like... Yeah, we can't do anything with this right now. Like, this is literally meaningless evidence, but, like, maybe we'll keep it just in case. Like, that's that's so smart. Yeah. Uh, amazing. The Dayton Daily News also published a short article in 2009 about the Indiana State Police reopening the case. Despite a lack of new information in the article itself, the headline read, Cold Case Heats Up in Wayne County. I hate that. Not quite, but okay. Police are now talking about it again. That's what that... Literally. (laughs) Unfortunately, this is where coverage completely drops off. I could only find two more articles online about Wilma's case. Both were in 2015, around the 20-year anniversary. The Dayton Daily News and then CBS4 and Fox 59 in Indianapolis all made pushes for information in the cold case, recognizing the 20-year mark, but... That's about it. Gosh. And I do recognize that in the mid-2000s is when things started going digital. So I'm sure some stories got lost in the shuffle of newspapers transitioning to web. And we talked in the past also about TV stations doing live reports or tape stories that I'm sure live in their station archives but don't Mm -hmm. exist online. For example, in that 2009 article from the Pal Item, it mentioned that Wilma's family was doing a TV interview with the station in Dayton. So this case definitely got some coverage when it comes to broadcast yeah and like working in news sometimes like you or I would put something in our newscast that day that we found interesting but that doesn't necessarily get recorded and put out on the web so like it could have been mentioned but we don't know and I think there are some immediate challenges that impacted coverage for this case for starters Wayne County Indiana is what I like to call a news no man's land the county (laughs) is a border county County that literally falls right in between the coverage areas of Indianapolis and Dayton, Ohio. So technically, it is part of both news markets. And because of that, it feels like no one ever wants to cover it. Yeah, because they're like, the other one will. (laughs) And I also feel like I have the right to say this because I worked in both news markets. So when you're in Indianapolis, it feels too far. There are things Mm -hmm. that happen in Richmond from time to time that warrant news coverage. Last year, a police officer was killed in the line of duty. That's always going to be a massive news coverage event. Like a smaller, smaller area that unfortunately, like if you're going to go out that far, at least as an indie station, you're going to do the big city like Richmond or. Yeah. And Indianapolis newsrooms aren't rushing to Wayne County for stories when there's plenty going on in central Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Dayton, it's literally the only county in Indiana that's in their coverage area. So it's not like there are multiple Indiana counties. That's it. The preference in Dayton newsrooms is to keep things to Ohio. And again, 
if something huge happens in Wayne County, then they'll go out there and cover it. But it's rare. So I mean, that's have, how we were too. Our station, it was like yeah. Indiana or bust. Like you have two news markets that yeah, don't yeah, yeah. really want to cover this area. The only saving grace for this case is the Palladium item newspaper, where I got most of my information. We love newspapers. Yeah, they did a great job covering the case in the 90s and early 2000s. But I can tell you, present day, the PAL item has one staff reporter. Oh my gosh, that's so sad because it's so important. And without newspapers, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. No, local newspapers are hurting worse than any other medium for journalism. It's so sad. Coverage like this that they once had is no longer guaranteed. I know. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Or like if the newspaper isn't even guaranteed. Yeah. It could go under, which sucks because like a lot of, I've I've met a lot of newspaper journalists and they are like some of the hardest working, most passionate people in news. And like, that's where we get the good in-depth articles where they talk to the family members, where they actually like give the victim a voice. So it's just unfortunate that that's the way we're headed because it's very important. For this case itself, My personal hindrances are no one seems to know why Wilma was at the cemetery Mm -hmm. or what could have led her there. There are no witnesses. The closest thing we got to a witness was a potential truck description of someone in the area. And it seems like they never located that driver. And if they did, it wasn't noteworthy enough to move the case forward. And it's just, it's creepy. You've got the, like, the Halloween of it all, the cemetery of it all, the, like... Buried 50 feet away from where she was killed. Yeah, it's all so strange. And the fact that there's literally no information about it and it's still unsolved. Yeah, I mean, hopefully 2025 is 30 years. 30 years. So maybe some media outlet or even police will do another push. It's just like her sister said, the longer this goes, the worse it's just, it's gonna be. That w- And that was within five months of the case yeah. happening. I did want to say if you or someone you know has any information about the murder of Wilma Cheek, the case is open, it's unsolved, please contact the Indiana State Police Pendleton Post at 765-778-2121. Damn. Good job. Damn. Thanks, I need a fun fact. Like you're right. <laughs> Time to bookend this bitch. All right. <laughs> Did you know British military tanks are equipped to make tea? That is hilarious and not shocking at all. No. So I looked it up because I was like, what? That can't be possibly be true. But so it was after World War II. The troops had to be like stuck in the tanks for like days and days and days. And then they would have to like go out and like do a kettle over a fire or whatever. And it would lift their spirits. So now they're just in the tanks. They can just have tea whenever. I mean, I saw a picture of like recent times. Oh my God. What is with the British and their tea? I don't know. What is it with us and coffee? I need my car to have a coffee maker. Yeah. (laughs) Would not hate that. As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due for this case. I got my information from Indiana State Police, The Palladium Item, Day and Daily News, CBS4, and Fox 59. You can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes. Please make sure you check them out and support your local newspapers. Period. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
drink all the tea. Drink all the tea. Spill the tea and drink the tea. Correct. 